You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Kills. Friends, some of my longtime listeners are aware that uh, once in a while, we will pause from getting guests on the show, and I'll just chat with you. I'll try to share with you maybe one or two tools that I think are helpful for leaders and parents in managing anxiety. So a little bit later in the show today, I'm going to be talking about underfunctioning and overfunctioning relationships and how to notice the dynamic and you know what to do if you're on either side of it. Then after that, uh, I'll be reading a fable from one of my favorite family systems books called Friedman's Fables. But uh, starting in 2021, I'm actually going to add a new feature to the podcast where I'm addressing questions. There'll be an opportunity to submit questions and case studies. And at the start of most of our episodes, we'll address a couple of questions. And this is all part of the bigger picture as I've been really wrestling personally with how best to offer these materials. One of the things I've decided to do, I I got some good coaching, quite a bit of prayer and uh, talking to some people I respect. One of the things I've decided to do is launch an online community in 2021. The simple fact is that the book I wrote, Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, was born out of a class I teach. And it's really not so much a class as it is a highly interactive experience. We have about 15 students a year, most of them from our church, some from our city. They gather every other week for two hours and we teach them a few of these tools. They all do a genogram, they all do a verbatim, they do all these deeper tools. But this class lasts several months. In fact, you can actually be part of this class for two years at our church. And we have found that the way to really experience transformation isn't just to listen to a podcast. It's not just to read a book. It's to get into trusted community, just a handful of people, learn a concept, talk about it, and then between gatherings, which for us is every two weeks, try things, what we call brave practice. So, for example, once you discover some of the sources of your anxiety, we actually assign homework for our class that in those couple of weeks, they are to go into situations that they know generate anxiety so they can pay attention to themselves. So my book was born out of that class. A leadership network discovered it and talked to me, and they were incredibly kind to partner with a publisher, and we published the book, and there it is. But I've always wrestled since the book came out. You know, I've been doing webinars, Uh, Just last week, I was in the Midwest working with a church. Uh, I've been working with all kinds of organizations, and I've been doing individual coaching, all kinds of stuff in the last several months. But none of it comes close to the experience my students have at our church. And so we we got some help, and we decided, okay, we're going to open up an online community. It's going to be a video every week, a 10-minute video, just a simple concept, a simple tool that you can put into practice. It'll be delivered to your inbox then it's going to be a confidential, private, online community, an online discussion forum where you can connect with other people who are doing this work. It's going to be a weekly self-assessment, just a simple handful of questions sent to you each week, just some soul care questions, just some questions to make you pause. This isn't really homework. It's more helping you reflect. And then finally, we'll be offering monthly Zooms with some of my, some of my certified facilitators. And then every other month, we're going to offer a masterclass for those who want to go deeper. Now, you don't have to be part of the Zoom. You don't have to be part of the masterclass. We'll record all of that. 
and it'll be on this online community for you to access on your own time. But if you're just wanting like just a little video tool just sent to your inbox each week, if you're wanting just a handful of questions to come to help you pause, a community where you can discuss and then opportunities to connect with a facilitator, get some private coaching, opportunities to go deeper in one tool through this masterclass, I'm going to invite you actually right now to stop what you're doing and shoot me an email. I don't even have the webpage up yet, but shoot me an email, steve at stevecusswords.com. That's steve at stevecusswords.com. And just say, I want to know more. Uh, The beta pricing is going to be $22 a month or $220 a year if you want to pay for a year, save some money. And that's for lifetime. Like as long as you're in, that's the price you'll pay. Everyone else will be paying somewhere around 28 or 30 a month if you're nonprofit, 35 to 40 a month if you're in business, if you're for profit. So if this is something you want to know more about, just shoot me an email. I'm, I'm collecting a waiting list right now of 200 people who want to begin in the beta. Because what we've experienced is, is people need time. They need these concepts just dripped out slowly and they need people to talk, uh, talk about it with. Now, something that's fun is we are actually offering for groups that want to go through this together. Maybe you have some friends. Maybe they're even spread out around the country or around the world. Maybe you have a, a, t- a staff and you want to go through this together. We're going to give you pricing where your whole team can be going through this uh, at the same time. Finally, one of the benefits of being in the online community is you get to submit questions. Some of the questions we'll answer over these Zooms. Some of them I'll feature on the podcast. So I've got two questions already because I've already got a beta group who are waiting to jump in on this. So um, here's the first question, and it's from a man named David. David says, I have a situation in my home that I'm struggling to find breakthrough with. It involves one of our two children that seems to be embracing depression and not engaging in counseling efforts we're offering. It's complex because... He's close in age to my daughter, who's an extremely high achiever and an award-winning leader. And my spouse is not on the same page as I am in terms of my son's needs and when and how to encourage him to engage in the family. And it's causing me much anxiety in the way I relate to my son and my spouse. Uh, Can you help me out? So, David, yeah, um, as is the nature of these things... um, Obviously, in a podcast setting, I'm always aware that when people send in questions, there's a lot of complexity going on under the surface. But there are three things that you can try. Um, The first thing is quite a common form of anxiety is when people we love are not behaving the way we want them to. And then we're trying to figure out how do we get the behavior we want out of them. And we do things that are different to try to get them to be different. Now, family systems theory teaches us boldly that the only person we can ever manage is ourselves. And the good news for us is that's exactly what the Bible teaches as well. Paul lays out very clearly in the Fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, where Paul names one of the evidences that we are in the Spirit is when we have self-control. We can't control other people. We can't change other people, but we can control ourselves. So, David, I think the first thing you can do is just take 20 minutes or so and get somewhere quiet and get where you're comfortable in the presence of God and take out a sheet of paper or a computer and just make three columns. What is mine? What is God's? What is theirs? 
This is a simple practice of differentiation. What is mine to carry and what is mine to own? What is God's to carry and what is God's to own? What is theirs to carry and what is theirs to own? So, you know, in this case, your child and your wife, you're trying to get them to do things differently. That's in their theirs category. Now, the things that are yours, that's what you do. The things that are God's, that's what you pray for. The things that are your spouse and your child's, that's what you trust them with. The, and, and this leads us to our second tool. Systems theory teaches us that we all get into problems and then our own attempted solutions are often what make the problem worse. So the second tool you can do is you can try to map out, okay, what am I trying to do to solve this problem that isn't working? And again, you just make a long list. What are all of the, my attempted solutions to this? And then the second thing you can map out is, has there formed between my, my child, my spouse and myself, is there a predictable pattern uh, between the three of us where I do something and then my spouse does something, my child does something? Is there a predictable pattern of behavior? And then it gets a bit complex. It's a bit more complex than we can handle on the podcast. But the next step after that is to at least stop that behavior. And another option might be that you do what we call name the dynamic. You sit down with your spouse and with your child. Once you've calmed yourself, you're not accusing, but you're actually confessing. You're doing the biblical thing of confession. You're saying to them, here's what I'm wanting that you guys aren't doing. And I get it because I can't make you do something. And here's all the things that I've done to try to make you do it. And I'm just saying, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that anymore. But I'd love to hear from you what do you see that I'm doing that's a problem? And then could we all talk about the dynamic together? You're never moving into accusation. You're never moving into saying, here's what you're doing that's the problem. The first tool is a tool of differentiation of self, getting clarity on what are you trying to control that is not yours to control. The second tool is a tool of relational dynamics, noticing what's going on between each of you. And then once you're calm, having a difficult conversation, a calm conversation about a tense subject and doing that together. And the way you start with that is you always confess, not out of manipulation, but out of genuine heart change. I am no longer going to try to get you guys to do things that I want you to do, but I want you to know I'm worried. I'm concerned. I, I think we should be getting help, but this kind of stuff. And maybe you can even uh, bring your overachieving uh, child into that conversation and at some point, you all four of you may need to go to a good marriage and family therapist to talk about it together. Uh, David, I know that was quick. I, I hope that helps. Um, you can reach out to me in social media on Twitter if we want to have more of a conversation on that. folks, onto the concept for today. Uh, I've developed a tool uh, since the book came out called the 29 Universal Sources of Anxiety. The idea is pretty simple. Regardless of our unique sources of anxiety, our own unique triggers that are based on our personality and our wiring, there are at least 29 universal sources of anxiety 
that every one of us, if we're in these situations, we will be anxious. It's it's the situation that generates the anxiety, not just, you know, our own neurosis. And uh, when the book came out, I had 19 sources listed, and I've since been doing a lot of work. I'm now up to 29. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list, but the way I use it is sometimes an organization will bring me in, maybe they have a case study or a situation where they're feeling stuck. And I'll, I'll put up the 29 sources for them to look at. And as they're telling me their case, I'll simply highlight which of the 29 sources have I heard in their case. I, I've done this dozens of times now, and I'm yet to have a case where there's less than seven unique sources of anxiety going on in that case. Like, no wonder everyone's so spun up. There's all these dynamics generating anxiety. Sometimes a seven, I've had like 11 sometimes in a situation. And it might sound to you like overwhelming, the idea that how would you ever memorize and notice the 29 sources of anxiety? It's actually pretty simple. And some of the sources are simple. For example, one source of anxiety is simply new. Anytime you're in a new situation, new job, new place, uh, new, you know, COVID is new, all of this, new can generate anxiety. So oh, these sources, the source I want to cover today is what's known as the overfunctioning, underfunctioning dynamic. One of the sources that might make you anxious as a leader or as a parent, if over time you've moved into an overfunctioning or an underfunctioning dynamic with another person or with a group. In my experience, the majority of parents and also the majority of faith leaders we are prone to overfunction when somebody's underfunctioning. Uh, so, for example, in the workplace, what that might look like is if somebody drops a ball, you pick it up and carry it for them, and you don't ever go back and say, hey, you dropped this ball, you just do it. If somebody is underperforming, you work harder to try to get more performance out of them. The problem with underfunctioning, overfunctioning dynamics is they together create what family systems theory calls homeostasis. Homeostasis is the simple idea that none of us really want to change. None of us really want to be that different. And so if somebody is exerting change on us, sometimes we will underfunction to try to keep things the same. If, if you picture, in Australia we call it a seesaw. I think in America you call it a teeter-totter. If you picture a teeter-totter or a seesaw, the more somebody swings, the less you have to to keep the whole thing moving. Uh, it's like a symbiotic relationship, a homeostasis relationship. So the most famous underfunctioning, overfunctioning relationship I can think of is in the old Western miniseries, Lonesome Dove. Uh, this might be a bit obscure for some of you, but these two retired Texas Rangers, Woodrow F. Cole, who worked all the time, total workaholic, always more to do, and Augustus McRae, who only ever liked to drink whiskey for breakfast, read the Bible, and then uh, sleep with prostitutes. That was kind of his fun thing. And so at one point, Gus McRae is on the porch reading the Bible, drinking whiskey as the sun rises. Yeah, he's quite a character. And uh, Cole, uh, Woodrow Cole, is inside the horse stable trying to break a horse, and the horse tosses him off, and he lands hard, and he gets up, and he complains to Gus that Gus really should be doing more, more work around here. To which Gus replies... You know, because you work so much, I see it as my obligation to work less. It's kind of a classic underfunctioning, overfunctioning relationship. So 
If you're finding yourself anxious with someone else, you can try to decide, am I on the over-functioning side or am I on the under-functioning side? Over-functioners tend to get fed up because you're always doing for others what they should be doing for themselves. Under-functioners tend to work, move into shame because they can kind of feel it. Like over-functioners, the big mistake you make is you think the under-functioner doesn't notice. But quite often they do notice and they're carrying a sense of shame that they're not carrying their weight. Oftentimes they're actually quite relieved to have the opportunity to talk about the dynamic. But one of the signs you know you're over-functioning is when the under-functioner doesn't do it and you do it for them or when you move into like an anger fantasy in your head. Oh, I'm always blank. And so step one is stop. Stop over-functioning. You know, the thing that you're doing for them, let the ball drop. What's, what's going to happen now? Maybe what you need to do if you warn them a few times is you just let everybody know. The next time she drops the ball, I'm going to let her drop the ball. I'm not picking it up anymore. Uh, or maybe another step is you can talk to the underfunctioner. But here's the thing. They're not in the wrong where you're in the right. The problem with overfunctioning is it tends to look like self-righteousness but it's not. You actually have to go to them and repent of your overfunctioning. The idea that you don't think that they can do what they said they can do. Have that conversation. If you're the underfunctioner, maybe you're listening to this now and you're saying, man, I think, think maybe I'm the underfunctioner. You can relieve the anxiety and the overfunctioner by saying that, hey, I've noticed it feels like I'm not doing my fair share. Is that what you think as well? Simply naming the dynamic between the two of you is a great path to overcoming chronic anxiety. All right, so I'll be featuring this more in the 2021 season, just this idea that there are ways that you can get these tools on a regular basis. And it's going to be on this new membership that we're calling the Capable Life. Capable because the first letters of capable are C-A-P. And C-A-P stands for calm, aware, and present. You know, when I did my college training and then when I went to graduate school, I got a great education, but I wasn't taught a lot of this stuff. This is the stuff that makes you a capable leader when you can be calm, aware, and present to what's going on. This is the kind of stuff that makes you a capable parent. So again, if you want to know more about this community, if you want to be considered for the beta, just shoot me an email, steve at stevecusswords.com. Probably by Thanksgiving or maybe mid-December, I'll have an actual website up where you can actually register online. But for now, I'm just collecting email addresses. I've got about 70 email addresses right now. We've got room for 200. So I know I'm supposed to make it sound urgent and act now and all of that. It might fill up by Thanksgiving. It might not. But if you're interested, why don't you reach out now and let me know and we'll go from there. Since we covered over-functioning, under-functioning dynamic, I just want to close the podcast with a Friedman's fable. This one is called Net Results. One day, Harry decided to improve his wife's tennis game. Not that she cared that much. First, he found opportunities for her to learn. She never did. Next, he sent her to all the pros, but she didn't progress. He bought her the latest how-to books, tapes of the champs. Her game didn't develop. He left magazine articles around in hopes that she'd read them. Her game remained consistent, though, curiously, she seemed to make better contact with her backhand. As time went by, Harry's wife started to regress. She had more and more trouble getting up for it. Often she'd become sick just before a trip. Sometimes 
She developed undefinable pains before a game. She fatigued easily. She began to withdraw. Then she hurt her arm after failing to follow through. It took her a year to recover. When her arm got better, Harry decided to make a breakthrough. He would teach his wife himself. First, he bought her a new racket, taking special care to find one that was well-balanced, light, and with a grip she would not find painful, as she had often complained. He found shoes advertised not to make her feet sweat, something else that had bothered her. Tennis shorts that were not too long, not too short, socks that was not supposed to let her feet itch. He even bought balls with extra bounce, frowned upon by many, including himself, but it would give her shots more oomph. And he managed to find a court, mysteriously missed by others, where they could play in seclusion and at a time that was most convenient. His wife had often said that she did not like others watching and that the hours when they could usually reserve a court were not her best time of the day. In the end, Harry had nullified in advance every reason his wife had ever given for why she had been distracted, listless, or was out of shape. So one delightful morning, warm but not hot, with only the slightest cooling breeze, he took his wife to the -the out-of-the-way court. She didn't seem overly excited about the idea. In fact, she developed a slight headache, but she went. And on the way over, Harry realized she had taken her old rack and had forgotten to wear the new apparel he had bought her. As soon as they got out on the court, he walked his partner over to her position and reviewed with her how to stand, how to place her feet, how to bend her knees, how to hold her arms and her wrist, her elbow, all the pointers he had gone over with her the night before. Each time, she silently allowed him to correct her stance, though once she did ask how long he thought they'd be there, He went over with her again how to hold the racket, how to anticipate a return, how to coordinate a timing, and then enthusiastically, he ran back to his side of the court. Ready, dear, he asked, and as soon as she nodded slightly, he softly hit a serve, and it passed by her unmolested. What happened? I wasn't ready, she said. He lobbed another. She barely moved, but managed awkwardly to reach out and hit it back. The ball bounced into the net. What's the matter? Eh, Just not up to it today, she said. I'm trying to help you not hurt you. Okay, she said. Go ahead. He was about to serve a third time when he noticed where she was standing. So he went back to her side of the net and positioned her once more. Set, he asked. And without waiting for a response, which wasn't going to come anyway, he hit another slightly harder than he intended. The ball bounced perfectly, however, almost homing in on her strings and She returned the service. It zoomed off to her right, caromed off an old wooden bench, ricocheted around in the corner between the rusty green grated fences until it became caught in the diamonds and the mesh. Not wanting to discourage his wife, he shouted, Good power! Try to follow through a little more across your body. Don't you think we should paint the house this year rather than next? she asked. Fwock! Harry's next serve headed for outer space. His wife had caught it in the very middle of her tether and sent it screaming over his head, over the iron mesh fence, beyond a large red maple on the other side. You really can put a lot on it, he yelled. Try again. Smash. It came right back, a real zinger this time, smack into the middle of the net, where it bounced a few times and died. Good zip, Harry yelled. Triangling it up a little. I think you've almost got it. Thus the volley continued. Harry would remind his wife how to stand, run over to her side of the court to demonstrate some principles of racket technique, 
run back to his side of the court to prepare for some dreamed-of reciprocity, initiate the dialogue with a clean, well-placed serve, and his wife would randomly send the ball in its own willful way. Don't you want to play? he finally asked. She gave a slight shrug with her shoulders. You don't seem interested. Well, Harry, this was your idea, you know. Yes, but it's for you. It, it's, it, it's for us. He knew, of course, that the game was more than skill or physical prowess. He was fully aware that playing well involved many emotional factors as well. Self-control, self-esteem, self-reliance. Playing well included the capacity to be assertive, yet regulate one's intensity. At the bottom of success was the mental toughness to respond well to challenge, the capacity to deal with adversity, to recover under pressure, and somehow to maintain a positive attitude, to be bold, to take risks, to be optimistic. These attributes were not only necessary for playing well, they were also the lessons the game could teach. He decided, therefore, to be the kind of teacher who was sympathetic, neither too over-involved nor too critical, encouraging and supportive no matter what. He resolved never to guilt her and always to show her he still loved her despite her faults. And he wanted her to feel valued, and after all, the ultimate end was not how she ranked, but to have fun. So he decided on a new track. She needs more guidance during the act itself, he thought. Harry served a high lob underhand, designed to bounce up right before her. Then he ran around to her side of the court, turned her shoulders in the right direction, held her arm with his hand and guided the racket with just the right angle and speed to lob it back. And then he took off again and he beat the ball to his side of the court and he lobbed it once again to hers and ran back behind her, held her arm just right and guided the racket in a true path once more. And again, he started back to his side of the net, but it wasn't necessary. The ball had hit the racket wood and bounced aimlessly away. He tried this approach once more, lobbing the ball high, beating it to the other side, holding her arm just right, and aiming the racket true. And it crashed the net again. The next time, trying to correct for the previous fault, they sent it completely over the baseline, and a third time she wasn't ready, so that even together they missed making any contact at all. He stood at his end of the court, dumbfounded reminding himself of his vow of patience. His wife stood at her end, wondering when she'd be out of the sun. What would it take to improve her game? He'd taught her all the theory, all the technique. He'd ensured the best surroundings, finest equipment. She possessed all the natural resources. Then suddenly, Harry stopped asking. And slowly, he began to walk in a little circle and he bounced the ball vigorously a few times, wiped his racket handle of any sweat, positioned himself properly for a serve, and then, after glancing slightly to his right and to his left, he hit it with all his might, not directly toward his wife, but up. Up and up it rose, and when it came down on her side, he was over there himself, ready for the return. Up he hit it, toward his own side. He was back when it came down. Once more he batted the ball high into the blue, so that he might have time to get under the return, so that their match continued forever and a day. And never again did Harry let it bounce on her end of the court. All right, folks, we will see you next week. And just keep in touch. Let me know how I can serve you guys. Bye-bye. 
For more resources, visit stevecuswords.com or missyoualliance.org.